You probably know already that Jesus didn't give his parables titles. He didn't say, hear now the parable of the Good Samaritan. No, he just told a story about a man who was robbed on a lonely desert road. It's useful to have sort of shorthand ways of referring to these stories that Jesus told throughout his ministry. So they get added over time and sometimes they stick. That's all fine, but it's also worth setting aside an old familiar title sometimes for one of these stories and trying to come up with your own. I have certainly asked Bible study groups at this church to do that from time to time. The parable that we just heard read is commonly referred to as the dishonest manager. That's how my Bible, along with many others, labels it. But if you ask me, I think my go-to title for this parable has always been, huh? (laughs) That kind of sums it up, don't you think? Jesus' parables are meant to be strange, of course. They're meant to provoke surprise and start conversation. But this one is baffling in so many ways it can be sort of hard to even know where to start. An apparently shifty character goes behind his boss's back and alters the accounts. Okay, well that's not actually so strange. You can read about that sort of thing happening all the time. The debtors are pleased, of course. Again, not so strange. But so is the boss. What's that about? And not only the boss, but Jesus himself seems to think that the guy cooking the books is to be commended. And if that's not all confusing enough, Jesus' explanation of the parable seems not to clarify things, but to complicate them even further. Make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth so that when it's gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Huh? (laughs) Last week, we heard a couple of parables that could not be more different. A shepherd goes looking for a lost sheep. A woman goes looking for a lost coin. Those images are easy to love, easy to connect with, easy to wonder about. But this one, well, it's something else. With its morally ambiguous characters, and its bizarre chain of events, it is far less comfortable, far less easy to just jump into. In all the times that I've read this parable and puzzled over it and even preached on it, I don't think I've ever gotten much farther than that. But I encountered what was for me a totally new reading of this parable this past week, and it has brought it to life for me in new ways. Ched Myers, a biblical scholar, theologian, and activist, has written quite a bit on this parable, and he sees it as a source for all sorts of reflection about Christian life today. So inspired by his reading, I have a different proposed title for the parable today. I'm going to try calling it Choose Your Economy. Now before you check out and doze off for the next 10 minutes, because that sounds so totally boring, I want to remind you that at its root, economics is not about a bunch of complex theories and equations. It is about how resources move, how things are exchanged in a society. Our word economics comes from a humble Greek word, oikonomia, which simply means household management. Economics is about how the house is ordered, how the communal household works. And at the center of our story today is an oikonomos. That's the word there. Not an economist, but a manager. That's how our version of the Bible translates that word. You could also call him a steward. 
He's employed in a particular household, helping to manage the affairs there. And I think I've always just quickly jumped to basically judging him for his unethical behavior. The popular title, The Dishonest Manager, sort of predisposes us to do that, right? But take away that old title and learn a little bit about the context, and we might not be quite so quick to judge. The man for whom our manager is working is clearly a wealthy landowner. And as biblical scholar Barbara Rossing puts it, many in this situation in first century Galilee were essentially loan sharks. To make ends meet, desperate peasants would approach nearby landowners for help. And the landowners were glad to provide loans, but they frequently charged exorbitant and often hidden interest rates, locking the poor into a pattern of indebtedness. This system worked beautifully for those who had much. They grew their land and their wealth, while the vulnerable poor lost even the little bit that they had. All of this was, of course, totally contrary to Jewish law. We sometimes forget this, but the Hebrew scriptures forbid charging interest on loans precisely because this practice exploited the poor and increased disparities in wealth. Nevertheless, this system of predatory loans and indebtedness ran rampant in the towns and villages of the region where Jesus grew up. He knew just how it affected peasants like him and his family and his neighbors. The manager in our parable is quite literally right in the middle of that system, right? He is standing between the wealthy landowner on the one side and the peasants upon whom he is praying on the other. He is sort of the link between those two worlds and a crisis happens that makes him have to choose about where his future lies. The landowners heard a report, found it or not, we don't know. There's this report that the manager is doing a poor job of managing, so he summons the manager and tells him he's about to be fired. We glimpse there just how precarious this person's position was in society, right? He has no real security and no real community. His position in the middle of all of that is about to end. So what's he gonna do? On the one hand, he could try to impress his boss one last time, try to prove that he's not been doing such a bad job after all, maybe even squeeze every last penny he can out of the people who owe his master something. And on the other hand, he could side with the debtors, see if there is some way to repair relationships with those people from whom he's been collecting all these years, people with whom I imagine he's not very popular at this point. Forgiveness of debts is one of the Bible's great images for the kingdom of God. You all probably know this, right? In the Jubilee year, once every 50 years, all debts were to be forgiven throughout the land as a sort of gesture of starting over, giving everyone a fresh beginning. And some of us learned the Lord's Prayer with a line, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So that is what the manager in this situation decides to do. He summons his landowner's debtors and starts forgiving debts, reducing them by 20, even 50%. These peasants, who are so seldom given a break, are finally granted one. And the manager, so long isolated and alone, finds himself engaged in new relationships, a new community. And before you say, but wait, those weren't actually his debts to forgive, consider that he might have simply been removing his cut of the interest from their bills. 
or removing interests that according to biblical law never should have been there for these vulnerable persons in the first place. I know that it's possible to see the manager's actions as nothing more than self-interested, nothing more than trying to ensure that he isn't out totally on his own the next day. But it's also possible to see this as the story of someone who finally came to his senses, who recognized how rotten the system was, and who made a brave and conscious choice to live differently. And here's where I think the parable might start speaking to us. The truth is, the system on display in this story is very much alive and well, and far more expansive than in Jesus' day. We are meant to love people and use things, and instead we too often love things and use people. I don't know where I first heard that, but I've always found it such a helpful sort of short summary of what's wrong with our world. Our systems value profit above the well-being of individuals and communities and the earth, and we are seeing the consequences all around us in wild disparities among rich and poor, in rampant consumerism and untethered greed, in destruction of the natural world. Ched Myers argues that many of us, maybe most of us in this community, are in a position much like the manager. Like the manager, we are part of a larger system that clearly values things over people, that serves to enrich a few and impoverish many. Like the manager, we can see that the system is rotten and unjust. And like the manager, we too have to choose our economy, mammon or manna. That word mammon might be familiar to some of you. It's actually the word that Jesus uses in this passage. You might have learned it that way. You cannot serve God and wealth, our translation says, but the Greek there actually says you cannot serve God and mammon. It's an old word for riches that sort of takes on a life of its own. Mammon is not just money, but the absolute power that money can have in the lives of individuals and communities. Mammon is money as an idol, one that demands sacrifice after sacrifice. While so much of our world is so firmly structured around mammon, there is an alternative, and it is as old as the wilderness. Manna cannot be hoarded. It can't lead to gaping societal divisions. It can't lead to isolation and loneliness and greed. It is quite simply daily bread, enough for each and for all. God taught the people manna living in the wilderness, and the prophets kept reminding people of that way of living time and again as they forgot. Jesus exemplified it in his life and his ministry, and he calls us to it still. Our reading today puts the choice before us one more time. So, I can't tie up every end of this parable still. It is still strange to me, and I still have lots of questions about it. But in this odd story today, I hear Jesus inviting us to consider where our loyalties lie, to think carefully about which world we want to help create. The world of mammon, where profit is everything and people are simply means to that end, or the world of manna, where no one is excluded, where there is enough to go around, where debts are forgiven, and we find the meaning of that beautiful word, enough. What changes can I make in my practices, in my priorities, in my spending, in my giving, in my use of time? 
What changes can I make to choose the MANA economy? What steps can I make today? What steps can we take to move in that direction? Friends, it is a strange and beautiful way of life that Jesus points us to. How good it is to be discovering it and seeking it out together. Thanks be to God. Amen.